0: Hello everyone, I'm Troy Dodds and welcome to the On The Record podcast presented by The Western Weekender. On this podcast, I'm joined by special guests who all have such great stories to tell about Penrith and the role they've played in our city. Today, my special guest is Graham Chapman. Chapo has lived in the Penrith region for most of his life, whether it was a radio DJ, advertising guru, firefighter, soccer referee, he's always got the community front of mind. I'm expecting this to be a fascinating chat with someone who's had such a great story to tell about his time in Penrith. Chapo, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, and what a pleasure. Thanks. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and um, yeah, real pleasure to be here, mate, to have this casual chat.
0: Well, as always, we start with the question, uh, where were you born and uh, where did you grow up? Yeah, I was born actually in Woi
1: Woi. On the central coast, uh, Donald Avenue, Um, had a fantastic first few years there, Um, didn't spend a lot of time, I sort of left there when I was about five years of age, before my parents decided to move to the west of Sydney, to a a little place that no one had ever heard of, (laughs) where the roads were dirt, there was no (laughs) sewerage. A place called Landilo.
0: <laughs> yes, and of course, uh, it, it, that yes, yeah, so and it so begins your uh, your journey in Penrith. Um, it does this is the the early seventies? Um, what was growing up in, in Landilo and, and the wider Penrith area like in the in the seventies and early eighties?
1: Yeah, look, it's a really good question because I, I genuinely look back on life now, and I just think that how blessed was I to be here at a time when. This region was changing, and if you look back on the geography, if you look back on mm. populations, it was definitely the 70s when Sydney and governments started to look at Sydney's west as a place where people could go as we grew. It was pretty fascinating. In fact, I've got sort of snapshots in my mind of like little picture shots that I just remember, yeah. and one of them is as a little uh, five-year-old getting out of the car for the very first time and seeing 308 8th Avenue Landilo, which was the house that mum and dad bought, for $16,500 on five (laughs) acres. And I just remember looking at the land, and it was just like, wow. The grass was all six foot tall. Uh, There was bush everywhere. It was really the sticks as it was known around the area back then. People used to say, oh, if you live in Landilo or Londonderry or whatever – Oh, you're out in the sticks. And it truly was. We were out there with uh, very little, um, like if you look at the sewage, sewage was a, you know, we, we had the old dunny out the back, <laughs> literally, where we'd have to dig a hole in the paddock to get rid of human waste. And not the long drop, it was a dunny. And yeah. um, when, when the power was just absolutely atrocious, there was blackouts every every couple of nights
0: um, phone and this, calls. of course, is also a time when uh, this is pre-Penrith Plaza and, and certainly pre-Westfield and that kind of world. So coming into Penrith, I imagine, High Street was, uh, was the place well, to High,
1: be. High Street was the place to be, and um, suburbs around Penrith hadn't even existed. Hmm. Uh, the, the road into Penrith was a long and lonely road yeah. called Richmond Road. People now know it as the Northern Road, but it was once called Richmond Road, Mm. and it was just a little old strip of tar, and it was pretty fascinating looking back because the plaza was just a little old country shopping center, and if you went to High Street, you knew people because it was back in that day when, due to laws and regulations, that we had Thursday night shopping that finished at nine o'clock, and we had uh saturday shopping that finished at 12 o'clock shops weren't open on a sunday and they weren't open after midday on a saturday so people were working and and everybody would just crowd into penrith on a thursday night to do their shopping you'd see your neighbors it was actually a real but i missed that era Mm. i don't mind saying that i I don't live in the past i really respect the past and it's pretty special
0: 1978 is a key moment for you because uh Fires engulf um, the local region, and and you uh, watches your your father and brother go mm. off to, to fight. Now, um, as your life progresses, you have very strong involvement with the uh, the rural fire brigade. But um, to tell us about seventy eight and and how that uh, that that affinity started for you.
1: Well, again, I, I I have it just captured in my mind as little images, and I can still remember being in Penrith on a Saturday uh, shopping with my mum and looking over the Blue Mountains at an incredible plume of smoke. And I just remember going, wow, that's just like an atomic bomb has just gone off. And everything just went downhill from there. So the Blue Mountains bushfire of that era took off and, uh, of course, then followed by, similar to what we went through in 2019 and 20, followed by one hell of a flood, which is the very famous flood, Mm. records that have recently been broken. But um, my father and my brother... Um, with lots of other volunteers. And this is this is what I love about Australia, Troy, is that back in the day, we the communications was very poor. So all we had was our local radio station, which was 2KA. And 2KA was on, and they were giving live fire updates. 2KA then put over a public announcement, and I can still remember hearing it. And the public announcement said the fire brigade needs volunteers urgently, and they were asked to marshal at the bottom of Old Bathurst Road, please report to Old Bathurst Road. And my dad and my brother and my uncle at the time just all looked at each other and went, let's go. Mm. And I've never forgotten that. And I ended up being in the car with them. I just wish I had a photo of it. I don't have a photo of that moment where there was a line-up of people for as far as you could see and the trucks would come down Old Bathurst Road, they would do a yui, and then just volunteers in their shorts, in their green overalls, whatever they were wearing, they'd be on the back of a truck and they'd be off into the Blue Mountains bushfire. And then when I returned, um, what happened in the subsequent days after that, um, embers, live embers started falling across our entire region, mm. Vandilo, Castle Ray londonderry and in other areas too and we were having grass fires pop up everywhere and before i knew it i was out with hessian bags and buckets of water and we were running around the neighborhood putting out neighbors grass fires in their paddocks old herb luxford over the road from us on eighth avenue as uh, the house still stands today it's well over a hundred years old and um Herb's sadly gone now, but I remember him just screaming at the top of his lungs, fire, fire. And I just, that was the first fire I ever fought at the age of 12. And it gave me this incredible bug, not fire bug. It yes. gave me this <laughs> incredible bug for the community. And I just looked around me and went, wow, I can't believe what I'm looking at here. The Adams family of Landilo, the Luxfords, uh, the Galits down the road, the Pace family, everyone dropped everything to fight grass fires. And then I went around literally that afternoon to the Landilo fire station and, and, and luck would have it. Tommy Luxford was there and, and he knew me very well and he's like, uh, young Graham. What are you doing? And I said, I want to join the fire brigade, Tommy. (laughs) He said, well, you're too young. Anyway, I I did join as a little junior member. We played games. We heard stories. But what a beautiful beginning. And then I stayed with Landilo for a long, long time. I've only recently moved from Landilo. And uh, that was was a, a really good decision. Some of my mates went over to Castle Ray. And I really love the culture at Castle Ray RFS. And I've been there now for about a year, and it's. Uh, but my love for the RFS will will forever be. It's great.
0: Now, when you're fourteen, um, along comes the beginning of your media career. Ironically, uh, thanks to, to something that doesn't exist so much these days, just calling up a radio station and uh, and requesting a song, which is which is what everyone did. You couldn't just uh, open up Spotify or or YouTube or something like that and hear a song. You wanted to hear it. You rang up, and so begins uh, another spark for you in in community.
1: I've had a life of little sparks that just I, I follow something and I follow a dream. And, yeah, it was the school holidays, and I was there with a couple of mates, and Selwyn Jones, his name was, and he was the afternoon announcer. And we were all just sitting at home at my house in Landilo, and he was, I still remember it. He just said, uh, and if you want to hear a song this afternoon, give us a call. And, and I, I, I rang the radio station and they did a pre record, which I didn't know. And it's like, hello, this is Selwyn Jones and who have we got there? That type yeah. of thing. <laughs> the old DJ of the yes. 70s or 80s. It's,
0: and it's uh, his own phone. Yeah, it
1: was yeah. just great. And I went, oh, g'day, it's uh, Graham out here at Land Island. Can I record a, a, a request a song? Yeah, you know, they played it back and I heard that and I went, wow i want to be a dj
0: yeah i
1: I just want to do what he does and that started something in me that's never left and i'm here today sitting back in a in this studio and just feeling the vibe and feeling the days and
0: and in those days starting a radio career generally meant heading to heading to the country um and, and and that is pretty much your your path as well well my path yeah 100% and i really didn't know what i was doing to be totally
1: honest um at that age to to break into radio i didn't even know how to do that so i went up to my year advisor at school and i said i went to cambridge park high school and i said i want to become a radio announcer and he just looked at me with this blank look and he said you want to become a what i said a a radio announcer you get on the radio and play music and he said ah there's no future in that, son. And I went, what? There's got to be a future in that. So anyway, I just followed my own path. I left school at year 10, 1982. And in the years before it, at the age of 15, I attended the Max Rowley Radio School. Mm-hmm. And I spent a good six months there. And that was that was a real big turning point because I learned things off Max Rowley. Max Rowley was the god of communicating, really. He was on Great Temptation and all the TV shows as the beautiful crisp voiceover man and then all of a sudden i'm sitting there with this guy and they taught he taught me things over those years about light and shade in your voice um inflection and all, just all these things that i actually do nowadays and mm. I, it's just in my dna now to actually but i to do that but it goes back to that era and then from there i i left um at the age of what 16 and and I I had an air check as they called them back then on, on a cassette. And I, I I asked um I asked Max Rowley if he could dub a whole bunch of them. And I literally, with the help of my mum and dad, uh sent it out to about a hundred radio stations around Australia. And I look back on even on that and I think, what was my mum and dad thinking? <laughs> like they were just they were really you know, endorsing my dream. And and I got—I've still got them in my files at home. I, all these rejections, and then one day I again took the bull by the horns, and I—I I did work experience at Two KA here in Penrith at Borick House, mm-hmm. and I just went in and said, I, I, "I just want to do my own work experience here." It wasn't through school. Yeah, I would go in there every afternoon. I shredded more paper <laughs> than you could poke a stick at, and then one day this guy called Rob Gooder said to me, he said, "Mate." how much paper have you shredded? (laughs) I said, I've tons of it. He said, you want to be a DJ? I said, oh, I'd love to. He said, jump in that spare studio, come in whenever I'm on the radio and just run a radio show. You're off air, Mm. but just get your practice. And little did I know, he was actually listening to me. And then one day, as you would know in radio, one day there was a voice that just appeared on this panel and he said, hey, Graham, you've got a future in radio. And I didn't even know how to answer that voice. <laughs> and then he walked in the studio and, and it really it was Rob Gooder that said, Mate, I've come down from two R E, Tare. I want you to ring Hugh McCrindle. And as luck would have it, Hugh McCrindle actually started his radio career at two KA back in the days when the studio was up in Katoomba. Mm-hmm. So the moment I said where I was from, I was kind of in with an opportunity and at sixteen years of age, and I still can't believe it to be really honest, Troy, I was offered a job at two R. E. Tari, and that job came to fruition just after I turned seventeen.
0: And pretty amazing, I guess, that um in some ways it was it was a lot easier in, in, in to get a job in radio in those days as long as you were willing to work hard because if, if you you mentioned sending out the tapes and often you had to drive around to these country stations but these stations were were generally independently run and, and lots of staff and and DJs required for for most of the day so yeah. it was definitely a lot different to today with a lot of automation and networking and and, yeah. and all of that so that that art I guess is, is lost a little bit today
1: well they had a thing it is and it 's very sad um, they every, every Every radio station used to have usually one or two people that would be employed as floaters. Mm. And that's what they were called, floaters, where you would just be employed to fill in when someone got sick on air or yep. <laughs> on holidays. So, you yeah, look, that's where, where I started, to re Taree, to and then uh, – on I went from there, I did a uh, – once you're in that radio industry, you, I spent 10 years working on commercial radio, and that was just an absolute blessing. And I still have the skill set that I learned back then, and I still love it. Uh, would I go back on radio now? I probably would, but it would have to, uh, it would have to really fit into my lifestyle as opposed yes. to going back to Atari or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I miss radio days. They were, they were a lot of fun. There's a lot of fantasy involved in radio as you know.
0: Absolutely. And you, of course, switched from from radio and then have a, about six or seven years in the TV world, uh, but mainly at uh, the Nine Network?
1: Yeah, pretty well. Um, so after 10 years, and I, and I reached some really good heights very quickly. My I think one of my best achievements was um, when I was working down in Wollongong at O. That exposed me to television, so I was actually there on the night when aggregation started, and that was um, when regional networks were now... Uh, picking up Sydney sing- signals on a permanent basis. And I was there that night. I was actually on air, and that got me thinking about television. I mm-hmm. thought, wow, I think radio's changing. That's what I thought. And I thought, I reckon in another 10 or 15, maybe 20 years, radio will be nowhere near like it is today. And I was proven right. So I took a punt. I actually was given an opportunity to come and work here in Sydney at 2WS back when they were on the AM 1224 band. And again, like that was just like a dream come true. I'm sitting there um, working on a station with all these people I used to listen to as a kid. And it's like, wow. Uh, So from there, I I went up to 2X in Newcastle. And I then started doing a lot of TV work, Mm. voiceover work and whatever. And I made a pretty simple transition out of radio into television for NBN television. And I spent seven years working for them in the area of sales and marketing and voiceover. And in the meantime, I I continued to actually be a freelancer um, for Sydney radio stations for 2WS and for 2UE in Sydney, where I would do live... Updates with news stories if there were serious road accidents up the coast or whatever. So yeah. I kind of kept my hand in radio too.
0: Now the the next step is interesting because this is this really brings you back into the the Penrith mm. landscape and certainly um, it's where I first I think came across uh, the legend that is Graham Chapman and that is um, <laughs> that is when you start a, an advertising business, um, yeah. uh, which was was it originally called Eighth Avenue Marketing, which of course was after uh, yes. the street in Landyler. Yes. Um, now. That world at that time, obviously, even if you just look at Penrith, you know, there's, there's three local newspapers running, there's, there's local radio stations that are yeah. legitimately local, there's, there's so much happening. So around that time, advertising agencies started to become big business, even just in local areas. Yeah,
1: they did. And, and the, the reason I came back
0: here was, you know, this is where I grew up.
1: And I moved back here when I was with NBN Television mm. because they moved me to the Sydney office and said, "Like, we want you to move here and do this." And there was some big plans for me, which was which was lovely, and I was really appreciative of it. But you know what? Um, I, I just got bored with it, and I started my my business here in um, Penrith. At the time, there was never a decision, a choice. I was always coming home. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I moved into the Blue Mountains uh and 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 from second one i just i just had this amazing feeling of being back home which was great and the landscape was it was interesting because um yeah business was uh, flourishing uh, outside of penrith i was looking after some really positive businesses like uh, norfolk island tourism i looked after them i was looking after you know nick scarly furniture and sleep city at the time and some really big name australian businesses mm. Uh, but I just cemented myself very quickly. And a lot of people ask me this, Troy, how, how did you, how have you become so well known at, in business yeah. and whatever? And that was never a plan. There was never a plan. Uh, I, I literally uh, used the skills of my radio days. I joined the Chamber of Commerce. I then very quickly started emceeing all their events. And all of a sudden, I was just um, uh, involved in all these businesses around Penrith. I was back into my soccer refereeing. I was in my fire brigade. So I was very, very active in the community. And that's the secret to actually being out there with a lot of people, is just being actively involved in the community.
0: And through the 1990s, just just run us through, what, what's the Penrith media landscape like? The because media it was, landscape. It was extremely busy at that oh, time and that, very competitive. Yeah, it's a
1: great question because people today don't understand it. We've, mm. we've, we've transitioned to this social media world. But, wow, like I look back on the days of the Penrith press. You, the Western Weekender wasn't there. Mm. So you look back on the days of the Penrith press and that, pay, that, that paper was so thick. Yeah. Down in High Street, right on the corner of... Um, where Subway is now. Yes, yeah. Uh, what is it? Station, station Street. Station and, Street. And high, yep. high and Station Upstairs. But you'd go into their office and there's like 40 people. Yep. There's, pe- there's people everywhere. <laughs> and and it was, it, was a, it was a buoyant time. The paper was very thick. Advertisers were getting results. Everyone read the Penrith Press. It mm. came out twice a week. Mm. You had the Penrith Star. Yep. Again, a very thick newspaper, a very positive newspaper. You had your local radio
0: station that was in... Yeah, it was one FM. Obviously, through the through the nineties, we had Ian Taylor from One FM on I the podcast that. Uh, earlier, and yeah, that, at that time, yeah, One FM was was sort of the place. If it, if it happened in Penrith, One FM were, were there and talking about it. They they
1: were, and and you know, it's it is a shame. It's a shame. It's gone the way it's gone, but it is what it is. I mean, you look now at the Western Weekender; it's it's just the. It's the prominent newspaper, but you guys have – it's been an incredible balance. You've found an incredible mm. balance, and, and all credit to all of you for keeping that balance there.
0: I imagine some pretty crazy days in that advertising world as well because it's it's an industry at the time, as you mentioned, pre-social media. So we're talking, you know, the desperation of getting ads in papers and things like that, that yep. if you miss a deadline for for a paper or a radio station – no one's going to know about your sale on the weekend or your new business opening or, or anything like that. There
1: was a lot of pressure on people in my position and, indeed, the direct sales reps that worked at these media outlets because you are 100% right. If you missed that newspaper ad, it was uh, it was vital for that three-day sale or whatever the case mm. may be. And clients are very quick to tell you if you make a mistake. Yes, um, But, yeah, look, they were wild days too, like... They were they were very carefree days. Um, money wasn't an issue. People were spending a lot of money. Long lunches were very much the... the <laughs> yeah, I think what the wine barrel would have been the, uh, oh, the number one choice in, in Penrith was, at that time. <laughs> the wine barrel was great. But, you know, whether it be Penrith or Campbelltown or Camden or any other place, uh, you know, the business community is a pretty special community. Mm. Once Once you can... Uh, be a part of that community. It's incredible because ninety percent of business people are just people that are having a go. Mm. Some are making mistakes. Some are putting on a beautiful, happy face, but they're really struggling behind the scenes with their the way they're running their business or whatever the story may be. And we're seeing more and more of that nowadays, mm. unfortunately. But it is a really it's
0: a very very uh, positive group of people to be around. Does the changing face then of the media landscape as time goes on impact your business? Like, where, where does that what what happened to to that business well, in the my, end? And, yeah. and well, you know, is it is it factors that you can't control? Is it is it the you know the the internet comes along and 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 bigger agencies also come along, uh, mm. very Sydney based, and start taking some of these clients who, you know, everything kind of kind of changes in the late nineties, early two thousands, that kind of era.
1: Look, it did um, in in. You know my world. My world was um, a world where I had a very very strong client base. Uh, I looked after a lot of really good clients locally and nationally. Uh, but you are one hundred percent right. I still I still remember the day when uh, a good friend of mine sent me a message and said, "Have you have you heard of Facebook?" <laughs> <laughs> and I went, "No, I haven't." And I was actually sitting in the office. He said, "I suggest you get onto it." Because Oprah's talking it up. It's going to be huge. And I just remember getting on and going, yeah, right. And I registered. And um, I was one of the early people to register, I reckon. And and I, I again, just like when I saw radio mm. changing and I moved to television, I saw online media changing the way that advertising and marketing agencies work. And in the end... Uh I, I had to ask myself some pretty serious questions and and they were very simple questions. But one of them where where do I want to be in another ten years? Do I want to be competing in a new frontier of social media? Or do I want to not be doing mm. that? And and I, I,
0: I made the decision to to move forward, and I have no regrets with that at all. The, the pattern that I'm seeing here from you, Radio to TV and then this is that you kind of know when to get out. Um, you, you you obviously developed a, a bit of a nous regarding that. That hey, you know, yes, you could stay right until the, the, the ship sunk, or you can go. Now I can see the writing on the wall here. Well, Maybe it's time to to you know take a turn. Yeah, look, I, I, I had some hard
1: times uh, as as the world did in 2009. I think it was with mm. the global financial crisis and that was that was a real challenge and oh my gosh i, I still have so many memories of businesses failing and businesses going under and mm. it was just a really disgraceful time in the world with with no real government help back then yeah whereas the these days we've had government help to get us all through mm. but you're right i've always tried i've made a lot of mistakes but that's what life is there's a lot of people you know, there's a, there's um There's a lot of knowledge in mistakes that people make because you learn to do things differently. But you know what, Troy? There's always been something that's always been deep inside me, and that's been communication. I've loved it, and I always uh, felt that, for me, it was about going to the next stage. And when I started my tourism business, that's kind of, in some ways, mate, that's been a perfect world for me. And and, and I, I... I like to look at that now and go, that's my swan song. I'm 55 years of age, but uh, I don't see that. I don't see another major change Mm. coming because I I really love the tourism industry and I can't see how that – I mean, it's been impacted heavily in the last two years, but I've hung in there
0: as best I can to actually be back out there again. I'll get to the tourism and, and you start that business in around 2007, start looking mm. at that world. Mm. But uh, we mentioned the Long Lunch. Of course, the other big uh, famous yeah. event in your world, your your Christmas parties were big for a, for a long period of time there as well, the, uh, one of the one of the events of the year, the Graham Chapman uh, Christmas parties. <laughs> thanks
1: for remembering that. I, I really appreciate that. Look, they were. And I, I did that every year and I, I've lost track, to be honest, how many years i did them for and i did it all for charity so i would basically charge i would charge people to come to my christmas yep. party and some people say, i can't believe you're doing this you're <laughs> actually charging to come to a christmas party but i charge 50 bucks a head and uh i would just say it's 50 bucks a head and um we'll, we'll we'll take out food and drink out of that and the rest goes to i used to donate it to the volunteer fire brigade yeah which was great yeah. And and other
0: you know, charities as well absolutely. along the way. Yeah. So two, so 2007, yeah, and an about turn, um, you decide that the, the tourism industry uh, may well be for you, for your beloved Blue Mountains and, and, and regions around it. So um, where did that passion come from? And, and you're still doing that today, of course. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. So uh, some 15 years later. So, yeah, tell us all about that.
1: So, look, again, uh, it's probably coming from my childhood. I think everything I've done has come from my childhood um, with a community-minded mother and a larrikin father. And they loved the mountains. They took us camping. I remember going to Porter's Retreat near Oberon. And my dad used to... He was a good storyteller. My dad was a bit of a larrikin. That's kind of where I get my storytelling skill from, I reckon. And uh, my dad could have been on radio the way he used to sort of tell stories and talk. But I, I decided um, to, to, to migrate slowly into the, um, into the tourism industry. And I, I continued to do both businesses. I still had the marketing yep. world, and I, had, I was putting my toe in the tourism world. I guess I don't have any real regrets. If I had, if I had my time again, I'd probably just jump full on into the tourism world a yeah. bit earlier. So it wasn't until like about six or seven years later that I went, nah, the time's come where I'm going to make a clean break here. And I, I, walked, I just walked away overnight from my marketing world. Mm-hmm. And I just went straight into the tourism world. Shocked a lot of people. And a lot of people, um, and I don't mind saying, uh, a lot of well-known people questioned why I did it. Hmm. Well, I did it because I love communicating. I love talking about the Blue Mountains in this region. I love history. I really believe I was born into the wrong era. Uh, I just love looking back and imagining what it would have been like with horse and sulky floating down High yeah. Street Penrith. <laughs> that would have been cool. Um And I I just don't have any regrets. And even through this time of the the two years of the pandemic where my business literally went off the cliff in March of 2020, we were moving about 4,000 customers a year Hmm. in day tours, and we went down to zero. In fact, only just the other day I had my first day tour in two years. I have just stayed absolutely focused on what the end goal is. And the end goal is the pandemic will end, tourists will come back, and I'll again – Get to tell my stories about the Blue Mountains and the history of Penrith,
0: and this is the thing: I reckon people probably walk away from your tours pretty pretty blown away by the experience because you bring, I guess, that that media background and that storytelling background uh, into these days. You, I can only imagine what the car trips uh, from the airport <laughs> out to the other uh, Blue Mountains are like for these people. Well, <laughs> I get
1: them by surprise. Like, um, we, we, you're right. So I, I, when when I'm doing the tour, and I've pre-pandemic, I had two other drivers full time with me, but no longer. So it's basically mm. just me doing that until we rebuild again. Uh, however, yeah, we, we tell the stories, but I tell it, I tell it in my way. I, I tell it with a few character voices, but I don't tell people that's coming. Yeah, um, One of my favorites was a lady from Cincinnati, and she said, you know, hey, Graham, she got off the bus, and I said, yeah. She said, I'd swear there were like five people driving that bus. <laughs> 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 because I just what I do is I, I, love to, I love to tell the story about how Australia began. I like to tell that story about mm. we, we came out of the American sort of war of independence. England had a problem. Where do they send their, their, their undesirables? And then that story goes on from there. And I spend 25 minutes talking about taking people into the courtrooms 240 years ago. Yeah. Or whatever it was. Yeah. And talking and, and trying to pretend, try and imagine you're the judge. Try and imagine you're the young girl that just stole a loaf of bread. And then I just. Absolutely hit him with the story. You, stand before me. And I become the judge. And then I become the little girl. Yes, sir. What have you done? And this is all why I'm just driving the bus. I've got to really concentrate when I do it so I don't have an accident or speed. And then I just tell the story. I stole clothes, sir. Very well. And then the story will go on where Catherine for example, is one of the stories I talk about, hmm. where she is sentenced to seven years here in the colony, and by the end of our trip from Sydney to the Blue Mountains, uh, they 've got the story of Australia and as I 've got all these key points along the road, so when I get to South Creek, where Black, uh, Bl- Gregory Blacksland's property was South Creek, and I'm able to segue into the story then of gregory Blaxland and 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 wentworth and Lawson and tell the stories about the explorers. And to the right, ladies and gentlemen, is Penrith, and where I grew up at Landilo, and I talk about Tench Reserve... And it just makes me feel proud. It really but
0: does. It's good, too, that you, yeah, you get to mention Penrith and things like that. I always, you know, when you're travelling, obviously you want to see all of the, the traditional sites and everything mm. you've read and seen about, but I always love if you get the opportunity to just go to a general suburban community and, and see it, because that's where you get to see everyday life. You know, yeah. if you go to, to New York and all you do is the uh, the tourist attractions, it's not really a reflection of, of, of well, every day. So coming out here um, and, and hearing your stories about Penrith and then going into the Blue Mountains, I'm sure, uh, gives them that insight, too.
1: Well, telling them the story. Story is pretty fascinating because sometimes depending on my timing on the day hmm. I'll actually I'll actually come off on Mulgoa Road and depending on the traffic but hopefully you know that's all going to get fixed in the next few years yes. um, I can make my way through Penrith but while I'm making my way through Penrith I'm telling the story of Penrith Yeah. so it's not just Mulgoa Road to the people from Florida and the people yep. from Texas They're, this is wow look at this this is a suburb of Sydney. This is Australia, man. Mm. They've dreamt their whole life about coming here. And then I tell the story about our foot of the Blue Mountains, how we were the accidental hub of Sydney's west. I mean, if you look back on history, um, if you look back to Governor Macquarie, it was all about Castle Ray, mate. Castle Ray was to be the designated major development of the Sydney, Sydney's west until the railway came in. And then we go over the bridge and we cross crossing the river and it's just the wonderful stories. They love it.
0: Now, what about uh, sport? Because you've been involved with sport pretty much your entire life, playing it, refereeing it. You, <laughs> you managed some early parts of Jessica Fox's career yeah. um, as, as well. So yeah. uh, sport's obviously been pretty strong in your, your, your path.
1: It has. And, uh, again, why? I don't know. My mother was not a sporting person. My my dad was just not a sporting person. Sorry, I'm laughing. I'm just thinking of my dad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's a funny fella. He was a beer-drinking boy on the wharves, mate. <laughs> he, he, there's no time he'd run if he's running after one of <laughs> us kids to smack us on the backside. But, um, look, sport was a great thing, and uh, I loved it. I've, I've played so many different sports, everything from cricket to to basketball to t-ball. I was the, what was it, 1978 uh, Sportsman of the Year, yep. at Landilo Public School. <laughs> um, but I've, I've I've really had a great time with sport. And at my age now, I'm I'm physically fit. I do a lot of running. Um, I've got no injuries at all. I'm, I don't have any complaints on oh, my knees and this and that. I, I get complaints after I've done a bit of running. But I'm you know I, I'm right into my running these days. I've run four marathons. I've done the UTA twenty two and fifty. And in, uh, in about six weeks' time, I'm actually competing in the UTA 100 kilometre event. And I don't know how that's going to go, but I'm going to give it a whirl and see how it goes. But, um, yeah, other sports, I've been a soccer referee since I was 14 years of age and uh, absolutely love that. And I still do that. I'm with the Nepean Referees Group in the local region. Um, I was just uh, bestowed the great honour of life membership recently, which was a beautiful honour. I love refereeing. Mm. I love the challenge it brings. I love the ability to be able to use all my communication skill to settle players down. Even even the worst case scenario, when you've yeah. got a player you're about to send off. I've always said you can send them off with a smile. You don't have to send them off with any arrogance. Mm. You can just go mate. There's your red card, mate. You shouldn't have done that. Off yeah. you go. Yeah. So I, I've I've loved my sport. I really have. It's, what well, about
0: sports management was that something you wanted to pursue more no, of no, or, or no. that just sort of fell yeah, fell no, your way at some t- point
1: t- totally accidental and and look that was an interesting thing because throughout my life i'd managed a lot of people mm. you know, people don't realize that it was never a business for me it was yeah. never something that it turned out to be that way but mm. it's something that i never ever uh pursued i'd helped so many people raise money and, and and like young jessica when i met her she was just a kid out of school and and I, I just did my very best throughout that period. And, and look, I haven't managed her for about four years now. But look, I remember I remember saying to her after probably only a year, I said, we've got to get sponsorship because you'll be a full-time athlete. Mm. That's what your job is and your calling. And uh, look, I've got to say, that, you know, when she won those medals, I was there in London and I was there in Rio, um, obviously not at the other, but... Um, when she won those medals, I was sitting at home at the time, and I was actually on my own. Uh, the kids were all out doing whatever, and I just watched it. And I, I don't mind admitting, I had a real tear in my eye. Yeah, and uh, I just had a beer, and I, I, I was, I was super proud for her because I knew that that moment had. Probably changed her life, and it 's still more moments to come that will change her life i 'll put it on the record now. she will go down as probably the greatest medal hall athlete in our history yeah this This girl has a resolve that is something that i 'd never seen before,
0: and the irony of a, a white water gold medalist from from the suburbs of uh, Western Sydney. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, obviously fantastic that, um, that we, we saw that from the 2000 Olympics. Obviously, you are around at, at that time as well. Well, I volunteered uh, in those Olympics. Yeah. That's what
1: is so ironic with it. I actually volunteered for two weeks. I was the media liaison officer. Yep. And then they offered me a full-time job, and I said, well, I can't. I've, I've got my business I'm running. And then they rang me after Sydney and said, will you go to Greece? Will you go to Athens? We, there's a six-month deployment. Yep. Oh, jeez. I couldn't do it. Because I was married at the time yeah. with three young kids, and it, there's just no way that's uh, that's not a good
0: move. No, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, just incredible. We got that stadium. It result, you know, 22 years later or 21 years later, yeah. um, it's pu- pushing out athletes like Jess, which is which is great. You mentioned Facebook earlier hmm. uh, when you, when it first came along, and I'm sure you didn't think that uh, Facebook would be playing a big part in your life when you first registered that account uh, back in in the mid 2000s. But you do, of course, run uh, the the Penrith Memories Facebook page, Memories of Penrith, and hmm and St Mary's, which has just exploded in popularity since it, it first launched. Mm. Um, and we do some history stuff as well on, on the weekend of Facebook page, and it is always, always popular because mm. people love, obviously, looking back at, at the time. But yeah. did you expect that that page would, would reach the, the heights that it has?
1: No. I remember sitting back in the May, of and, and, and right at this point, I just want to just say hello to any person that's listening to this that is on Memories of Penrith. We've got 50,000 followers all over the world. Um, it is such an honour to run that site. I do it with genuine community spirit and passion. But when I started that, it, it's on the record. I only started it because I was sitting at home and I wanted to find a picture, a yep. picture of the old Landilo shop on 7th Avenue. Yep. And I was just messing around. I was on the council thing. And I was going, and I, 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 don't know. I just wanted to see that picture for my own sake and go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Mm. And then I started thinking, and it got into about 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock, and I went, surely online. So I started. I thought, I'll start a site called Memories of Landilo. Yep. So I, I looked and I went, that registration's available. And then I went, no, 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 it's bigger than that. I'll do Memories of Penrith. Yeah, Memories of Penrith. And I looked online, I went, well, that's available. No, nah, it's bigger than that. <laughs> so I looked at Memories of Penrith and surrounding suburbs because to me the hawkesbury and uh you know the blue mountains is all part of our region st mary's as well yep. and, yeah and it was available and I started it and it was it was actually quite a an incredible moment so what I did I I started with no one and I I had all my mates were online <laughs> so I I messaged them all and um I just cut and pasted the message and said, <laughs> so if you were online, you would have got it. And I went, hey, Troy, check this site out. Yeah. Let me know what you think. Hey, John, let me know what you think. And all of a sudden, I had all these people writing back to me going, oh, yeah, here's an old photo I've got. So I put my first photo up, and I then refreshed the page. And within the space of like half an hour, I had 300 people following my site. And I went, Whoa. where are these people coming from? Who are they? So I stayed up to like one o'clock and I put some pictures up and I was actually just playing this little game. I was putting a picture up and seeing who would like it. I go, look at that. I've had 26 likes. And anyway, I I went to bed and I got up the next morning and I had a big day in Sydney and local business, York jewelers. Mm -hmm. I was doing his marketing.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, Rob Eli is a
1: very good friend of mine. and, And g'day to Rob and Helen and, uh, and I went into a meeting with Rob at like 4.30 in the afternoon. He's like, oh, g'day, chap. How are you, mate? Cup of tea? Yeah. And very casually, he just said, gee, that site you've got, thats that's gone off, hasn't it? And I said, and I, I forgot about it. <laughs> and I said, what site? He says, your memories of Penrith. I said, oh, yeah. I said, mate, I can't believe it. I went to bed last night. And there was like 300 people following me. And he just stared at me. And he said, 300? Have you had a look at it today? And I said, no. Mate, we hit 10,000 people hmm. in the space of 24 hours. And he got it up on his screen there, and it was sitting at like 8,860. And I went, holy crap. I said, Rob, uh, we'll reconvene this meeting. <laughs> I've got something I've got to do. I've got to find I, some photos. I did. I just got out. I went home. I didn't leave that computer for
0: weeks. Well, What's interesting as well is that, I guess, this is the era you could do something like that because these photos just weren't taken as often back then. So when you yeah. do stumble across a, a photo, even in the 90s, like we, we look for, try and find a lot of photos of different shops in the in the 90s. Um, I've been trying to hunt down, I used to go to the card shack when trading cards yeah, yeah, were big yeah. there in, in Memory Mall and High Court cut. There's just no photos. I think it's, it's, people didn't think to do that sort of stuff. So when you no. do stumble across them, um it's it's pretty remarkable also i think um people are amazing in their memories and amazing in what they pick up in mm. photos i know if we post a photo and say this is from 1978 and someone spots a 1981 model car oh, in that yeah. photo they're coming <laughs> after you
1: <laughs> they do but what that site's done is been amazing because it, the amount of people i've unearthed that have amazing stories like one of my one of my f- favorite of all time and sadly she's passed away and we were on the verge of actually doing a video mm. together uh, Judy Taylor and you know the Stanton Taylor yes, business yep. in town and she was an incredibly beautiful person and I I put it out there that look I've heard a rumor that there was a train station at the log cabin and I've I've just put it out there and I've put a picture of the log cabin and next minute, all these people go, yeah, I've heard that as well, and here's, uh, here's a trove satellite image, and you yeah. and definitely there. And, and Judy just got on and did this amazingly beautiful presentation online and just said, oh, yes, there was. I remember the Rose Garden, and she described it absolutely perfectly because they lived in the house yep. that is over the railway line, but it was between uh, the, um, uh, the club, yep. the, the rowing the club, rowing club yep. and the railway line. There was a house there, they lived in it, yeah, so she would just toddle on over and uh, <laughs> well, an interesting side
0: note to that uh, when people get to go to the new log cabin, there is a massive train that is in the uh, the beer garden kids' area, so yep. maybe that 's a nod to uh to that as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Facebook page though, has expanded even more because yeah. um, when big weather events happen, mm-hmm. um, you don the raincoat. And I've got to tell <laughs> you, as as someone who runs a, uh, a news organisation in town, with obviously we have the resources that we have, but I, I get jealous because uh, yeah, a, a, there's <laughs> Chapeau out in the uh, out in the elements. Um, but there've been really insightful, um, I think, for people to understand exactly what is going on. Um, these live videos that often literally are you just walking um, the streets and the Nepean River and all that area for hours, just showing people where it's at and then doing the, the same the next day. Um, the interesting thing for me in all of this, though, is that that this isn't earning you an income, so this is purely passion, really. Yeah. Um, I know you can obviously you can sell some social ads and whatnot, but... Yeah. Why do you do it? Why do you, you keep doing it and keep wanting to do it?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, and I get asked that a lot. In fact, I have some people that say, why do you do it? Like, with a tone in their voice, like, why would you bother? <laughs> do you know what? You've just got to look back on the recent floods of 2020, 2021, and 2022, and you've got to look at the millions of people that have seen my videos, the incredible amount of comments where people... I get a genuine, great, awesome feeling when I know that I've helped people. And I know there's a lot of people that are living overseas and this is their hometown. Hmm. They'll never return, Hmm. but they are Penrith people. And I know there's people that are in nursing homes and I know there are elderly in their own homes that can't get out. And if my videos, through all my experience in radio and television and everything else, if I can allay their fears and give them uh, no holes barred update on what it's like like i will do that time and time again and I, I i just i don't want money for it like i've had i won't go into it here but i i've had i've had um uh, some decent media talk to me mm. about um assisting them in yep. times of crisis yep and i'm not interested mate to be really honest uh if if i could do it along the lines that i could have access to the social media and do it the way Chapo does it. Yes. Yeah. That's what people love. Yeah. And I'm not saying that egotistically yeah. or arrogantly. They love the way I do it. They love the way I just pop up on a damn iPhone and just go, <laughs> well, here I am. I'm looking at the... and they're explaining, explaining the fact that it's 11 kilometers to the, to the dam. Yeah. There's nothing, there's no houses going to go. Yeah. And it's going to come past Penrith at 300 kilometers an hour. But the Hawkesbury is the drama. Yeah. And people love that honest and open discussion. And, Mate, I, I love the site. I, I love it with an absolute passion, be it through fires or floods or anything.
0: Now, I don't want the truth to get in the way of a good story here, but yeah. recently a video went viral yes. of, uh, of you getting splashed out um, at Wallachia, I think. was that, No, Landyla. Land well, oh, sorry, places. it was Island, Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> of you getting splashed, yeah. and, and it goes viral here in 2022. But that video actually wasn't from uh, from 2022. No. Uh, and, it was from the floods back in 21.
1: 2022 twenty oh, twenty. Yeah, yes, so the 2020 great, flood, yes, the twenty twenty floods. This was the floods that broke the drought. Yeah. And uh I look I was out there on the bridge at Eighth at Avenue of all places where I grew up. Yep. And uh and I couldn't believe it. The the um the, the the river was about to jump over the bridge and I thought, Oh, this is this I just went, look, this will make a great bit of footage. Yeah. So I go live with it and and uh anyway, we're we're just there and i will say here we are There's been a lot of rain and we got a lot of rain overnight. So people were waking up, they Mm. went to bed. It was a bit like Cyclone Tracy of 1974. They went to bed and woke up with with a nightmare. And that's what happened in 2020. People went to bed and that rain depression smashed us overnight and everything was flooded. So people were in disarray. So I just saw the opportunity to communicate that to the community. And, um, oh, mate, (laughs) driving that vehicle, I saw him coming and I was going, and I was genuinely going, no, no, woo, 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 slow down, mate. (laughs) And I was waiting, woo, woo, woo. And then, of course, when he didn't, he sped up. And what people don't see on the video, I saw his face and he he was laughing, mate, I'm telling you. And I'm laughing. I still laugh at that video.
0: It is is a great video. It's It's a a great video.
1: video. And then I see it, well, not every now and then, I to be honest, I don't go a day without someone mentioning the yeah. video.
0: I think you're, the moment in your voice when you realise this guy ain't slowing ah. down <laughs> he's, uh, And he's, then uh, the
1: language was like that was just natural. Um, but what you what you do see, but you you don't hear, is that when when you watch that video, what you got to do is look towards the end of it, and there's a there's another car gets me as well. Yeah, I didn't mention anything about that. <laughs> but, and he was he was just waiting. He was laying in wait. So I got done over by two cars in that cross. Um, I only swore at the first one. But look, that video has gone, as we do this uh, podcast, that's gone to over three and a half million people. Mm. Um, As I say... It's fun. I don't want that guy ever tracked down and punished for that. <laughs> it was it was an Aussie thing to do. I would have done it to him. And I just want to buy him a beer. I'd love to meet. Well, him we will we we'll try and organise the reunion. That'd be <laughs> yeah, a, that'd I'd be good for the paper as well. But look, it's a, it's a great site, mate. It's a great
0: site. Well, let's give a few plugs. So, yes, if you want to follow it on uh, Facebook, head to Penr- uh, Memories of Penrith and Surrounding Suburbs. Yes. Um, and of course, what about the tourism businesses? If you if if you hey, you might want to tour your own backyard. But otherwise, if you know some people coming from overseas, what what do people do?
1: Yes, look. Well, all they do there is they just jump onto our website. It's bluemountainstours.com.au. dot com. au, and you know when we have when, when pre pandemic was on, we were getting bookings with people from Penrith, and we were picking them up in Glenbrook, mm-hmm. and on we go with the day. But yeah, look, we'd love we'd love to sort of entertain as many people as we can. There is something I'm looking at at the moment, and and it's because. The way the world is at the moment and tourism is slowly coming back, I'm actually looking at putting together some tours that will just leave Penrith and they'll just be for Penrith people, basically. Okay, great. I I haven't finalised those dates yet, but I'm looking at that over over the coming months. The other thing I'm working on, and I just can't wait, and it's to coincide with our 10-year anniversary of Memories of Penrith. We're actually producing a book. So Mm -hmm. it's about a 200-page kaleidoscope of images with uh, taking stuff out of Facebook and the comments and capturing the stories that people have told. There are incredible stories, even the recent 90th birthday of the Harbour Bridge. There's someone on our site that's just commented that they got chased up – their grandfather got chased up the bridge – moments before the bridge opening so they are the first (laughs) the first person people to climb the bridge and they're here in Penrith there's some amazing stories so I want to capture all that and that's going to come out in a book and we're going to launch that in May I haven't worked out where I'm going to launch it it will more than likely be at some historical place Mm. maybe like the log cabin or somewhere but uh, I'm really looking forward to that so there'll be some information online about that
0: when that happens. Well, we look forward to that. Now, the final question that we always ask are how would Graham Chapman like to be remembered in Penrith?
1: Oh, that's um th- th- that is a good question and and I don't know. To be honest, um community minded, someone look, I I can honestly say if if I wasn't here like if I go tonight, I would want my kids to just raise a beer and a champagne to me. I'd want it to be a positive wake. I would want it to be something where they go, this guy loved his region. He, put his, he he's put his region on his sleeve wherever he goes. And community spirit to me is what I want to be remembered as. I want to be someone who gave for his community. And you can give to your community in so many ways, be it refereeing or be it firefighting or St. John's ambulance or just helping people. Just uh, community, I think, is my key word. That's right. All right. Thank you
0: so much. Very good, Graham. Thank you very much for joining us uh, on the podcast.
1: Absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you.
0: There he is, Graham Chapman. I hope you enjoyed our chat. A reminder that On The Record is released every Monday. Just search Western Weekender wherever you listen to podcasts and hit the subscribe button. On The Record is produced by the Western Weekender and recorded at the studios of My 88. Check out westernweekender.com.au and we'll see you next time.